So, over recent weeks, we have been looking at Genesis chapters 2 and 3 in our series, Paradise Loved and Lost. We found it gives answers to some big questions about where we come from, about who we are, and the purpose of our lives. We've also seen that these chapters speak into issues that are so relevant in our world today. The value and dignity of each individual person. We've considered fruitfulness in work. We were called to be fruitful people, whatever we do. It speaks into meaningful relationships with God and with others. Speaks into the sanctity of marriage and issues of gender and identity. And today as we come to the penultimate in our series, my title today is Judgment and Hope. And I'm going to read some verses from Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 to 19 from the Christian Standard Bible. And the words will come up on the screen behind me. This is what it says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor All the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. If you were to see a picture of me as a child, I look angelic. Honestly, butter wouldn't melt in my mouth. And yet, I'm, I was capable at that age of doing some really unkind things. I remember a moment where I'd done something and uh, uh, created a mess in the bathroom and my dad went into the bathroom and he said, who did this? And I said, Alison did. (laughs) And I knew I was fairly safe because at that moment she was not really able to speak very well because she was only about two. So she got into uh, big trouble and she didn't even know what was going on. I literally threw her under the bus. Why did I do that? Theologians call it original sin. It's not a phrase that's popular in our society today. Sin is 
is rooted in our rebellion against the God who formed us and created us. It's our determination to live without any reference to him. As Phil pointed out last week, it's seen in our failure to take responsibility for our actions, justifying ourselves at the expense of others because we're always the victim. We're all capable of throwing someone under the bus to justify ourselves. As someone once said, when Adam's sin was exposed, he blamed God and then Eve. Eve blamed the serpent and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) Boom, boom. Sin ruins our relationship with God. It ruins our relationship with each other and with the world around us. There are always consequences to our actions. And it's what the opening phrase of uh, the verse 14 is getting at. So the Lord God said. And then God judges Satan. He judges the woman. He judges Adam. He does it. God does that because he'd warned them what they would do, what would happen if they disobeyed him, if they ate from the tree that he told them not to eat of. There would be consequences to their actions. Every sin holds the possibility of unintended and unanticipated consequences. And we've all experienced it. That one little lie because we were embarrassed suddenly can lead to such a bigger lie to to protect ourselves because we don't want to be found out that we lied. And everything gets so much worse. The passage is explaining why humanity is the way it is. This passage is explaining why the world is like it is, why we are in such terrible turmoil, why people are dying in the channel. Why terrible things are happening in our nation and in other nations. Today we're going to draw out five things quickly from this passage. And the first thing I want to draw out is this. I want us to think about God's response. You know, when we give instructions to someone and we delegate responsibility, we expect them to do what they're told. There was a moment uh, 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 in lockdown when uh, I said, uh, Annie and I were talking about clearing, the attic, clearing out stuff in the attic. And uh, she gave me some very clear instructions. She said, if you're going to throw anything away, I want you to take a photograph of it, because she was in work at the time. She said, I want you to take a photograph and send it to me so I can check what you're throwing away. And I went, yeah, 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 okay. I went into the attic. And uh, I just bundled stuff up and I found this book and it didn't have a front cover and I said, oh, that, that needs to go. And um, when Annie came home, I took it, I'd taken it all to the tip, Annie came home, I said, oh, I've cleared out the attic. She said, you didn't send me any photographs. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. She said, as long as you didn't throw away that book. Wow. I was in such trouble. But you learn a lot about someone from the way they reacted. They react. 
She was cross, but do you know what? She was kind to me when I didn't deserve it. How do we sense God reacted when we read these verses? Was he angry and harsh? Was he stern and judgmental? Our answer shapes what we think about God. It's about shapes what we believe about him. And I think in these verses we see something of God's love. See, the writer still refers to him as the Lord God, not just as God. Throughout the series we've heard that the Lord God speaks of a God who personally relates to us. A God who loves us. A God who is our Father. And the writer is telling us that suddenly he didn't just go into God mode and come down hard and heavy. He is still the God who loves us. He's still the God who's our creator and our father despite our sin. You see, everything God created, we read in Genesis chapter 1, was good. And we read that he created man and it was very good. And having created a perfect world, he He placed Adam and Eve in paradise. They could have anything they wanted. They could eat of any tree except one. One, there was just one tree that they weren't to eat the fruit of. You see, we are seeing in Genesis that God is good. He was good. He is good today. And he will forever be good. He never changes, the Bible says. Everything good, we read in James, comes from him. And so when he holds them accountable, he is being good. Paul calls this the kindness and sternness of God in Romans chapter 11. The kindness and sternness of God. I want you to know that kindness comes first. He could have left the world to fall back into chaos. He could have destroyed everything. He could have uh, crushed Adam and Eve in a moment. And yet God hadn't given up on us. He holds them accountable. God never changes. One day we'll all stand before him. And we will have to give an account of how we've lived our life. Hebrews says that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And whilst it's comforting for us to know that bad people, evil people, will get their just desserts for the things that they have done wrong and the evil that they do, we somehow hope that he's going to turn a blind eye to our living without reference to him. God won't do that. And here in this passage, at the lowest moment, we glimpse hope. Because restoration requires facing up to the issue. Unless we face up to the issue, there is no hope. And if there is any awareness of sin, of guilt, of judgment in our lives... It is the kindness of God stirring us towards repentance. 
turning back to God. God wants us to repent, to turn back to him. That is the essence of the gospel. And so if you're here today and you don't, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it today. Because God is kind and giving you the opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The second thing that we see, we see God's response, but the second thing is we see Satan's doom. Why does God curse the snake? It's just a creature. We get no answer to that. But it's apparent from the Bible that behind the snake, Satan is masquerading. Satan, the Bible tells us, is the enemy of God. He's the adversary of God and he's the enemy of all God's people. In Revelation chapter 20 verse 2, Satan is finally revealed as that ancient serpent. And in verse 15 that we read this morning, we're told that there would be hostility between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring. The woman's offspring are us. We are all born of a mother. In John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus is speaking, he makes clear that Satan's offspring refers to all those who have, uh, Satan has led astray into rebellion against God. We were all in that camp one day. We were all there. We all fell into that camp. And it's only by the grace of God that we're not. Satan is a created being. He is not equal to God. He is not all-powerful. And there are hints in the Old Testament as you read through the prophets. There are hints that the issue with Satan was that he became proud. He was an angel and he fell. Somehow he became proud. We're not told how or why. But he became proud and God cast him out of heaven. And so he prowls around the earth. He desires praise. He desires a godlike position. And that's why when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil for 40 days, we read that in Matthew chapter 4. When we read that, we see his last temptation of Jesus. He said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll do this for you. If you bow down, that's what he craves. He craves worship. He wants to be lifted up. He wants to be exalted. And we read his doom in these verses. God cast him down low. On your belly you will crawl. You will eat dust all your days. And when you read through the Old Testament, eating dust, dust speaks of humiliation and it speaks of defeat. Satan's doom is settled. Pride comes before a fall. In the garden, Satan thought he'd won, but God is sovereign. This world may look a mess at the moment and terrible things may be happening, 
But God is still sovereign. He is still on the throne. Satan's curse is a reminder that even if he's still a fearsome foe, he is not to be feared if we are in Christ. The third thing we see is the woman's pain. You see, the woman's punishment for her sin is twofold. Childbirth will bring pain. My son, when he was born, Joe, was 10 pounds, 9 and a half ounces. Annie is tiny. Annie understands what that kind of pain is all about. I have no idea. A consultant once told me I have a low pain threshold. Yet, this verse is talking more than just about physical pain. It's talking about emotional pain. You see, the connection between a mother and a child is huge. And there is a day when children fly the nest. But they never stop being our children. We never stop caring whatever they do, whatever mistakes they make. And there are many mothers, many of you here struggling with overwhelming anxiety about your children as they're growing up. Jesus' mother Mary was told that Jesus, she was told this by a prophet, that Jesus' life would cause a sword to pierce her own soul. Maybe you know something of what that's like. Sword piercing your own soul. You know the pain, the anxiety and fear over your children. It's part of the curse. It wasn't always, it wasn't intended to be like that. The second thing is, The woman's pain is caused because relationships will bring conflict. Man and woman were created equal in the garden. They were equal in dignity and value. They were designed to complement each other, to help each other. And together they comprise the image of God. And Eve's sin caused harmony to be replaced with a power struggle. The Hebrew conveys the sense that her ungodly desire to influence her husband, however subtle, would not have the uh, uh, impact she wanted. Manipulation never works. It brings pain. And instead, she would experience him ruling over her. This is powerfully evident in the world around us today. Conflict caused by male domination. Women experience pain everywhere. Relationships, marriage, in work. Women in the workplace being measured by a different standard to male colleagues. I'm sure there are many women here today who are experiencing pain through relational conflict. It isn't what God intended. The fourth thing we see is about man's future. In 1939, Chamberlain declared war on Germany. He declared war as the representative head of this nation. And from that moment on, every person in the nation was at war. 
I didn't say, I, who said I was at war? He was our representative head. And in the same way, Adam is our representative. He is our federal head. We're all born in his image. And we're all tainted by his sin. The hymn says, there's a hymn writer says that we are all part of Adam's helpless race. We're all infected by this virus and under the same curse as Adam. And it's why work is hard. God created work to be a blessing for us. Work is good. But not now. Work is unsatisfying, not fulfilling. And the curse is work gets harder. Our body gets weaker and life gets shorter and less fulfilling. Maybe we feel we're just a cog in the corporate machine. I remember reading an article about 20 years ago of a guy called George Turklebaum. He worked for publishers in New York. He died at his desk. It was five days before anybody noticed. Is our workplace uncaring and ungodly? Is our workplace a place where expenses get fiddled? People borrow from the office? Do people lie to customers? The boss? No, 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 he's, he's not here at the moment, he's tied up. No, he isn't. He just doesn't want to take the call. Is our goal to do as little pos as possible for as much pay as possible? Is our place of work where the staff are treated like objects more than people? How often are we thanked and praised for what we do? Work is hard. It wasn't what God intended. And death is the end. Adam's curse is death is the end for us all. It is the ultimate statistic. Until Jesus returns, everyone here in this room will one day die. Life is hard. And then we return to the ground from which we came. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Is there any hope? And here in the midst of the curse, we find the hope of our redemption. We find hope of a return to paradise. We find hope that takes us beyond the grave. We see grace revealed. Verse 15. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In the darkest moment, grace is revealed. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 5. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We're born in Adam's image. Jesus was born in the image of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was untainted by sin. He never sinned. 
And so on the cross, he dealt with a curse once and for all. It's why Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3 verse 13 and says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. The curse was reversed. On a Judean hillside 2,000 years ago where Jesus Christ bore our punishment for our sin and our wrongdoing that we might be forgiven and made right with God. God's anger is dealt with and the kindness of God is revealed. Jesus has broken the curse. And as we wait for his return, we see the grace of God as Satan's doom is settled, is sealed. You see, the Hebrew for offspring is singular. And it's also plural. And implies that Satan's hostility will continue through every generation and through this generation until one comes who will crush his head. And although wounded... Jesus, who Paul calls the last Adam, is victorious on the cross and makes a public spectacle of Satan through his victory. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossians. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Christ has won. Satan's doom is settled. Woman's pain is healed. When Jesus is on the cross, he speaks to his mother and he calls her woman. Calls her woman, it seems disrespectful. This is the woman who carried him for nine months. This is the woman who looked after him as he was growing up. It's so awkward, the, the, right, the translators of the New International Version soften the blow by adding the word dear that isn't there. Dear woman, somehow making it more palatable. The Christian author Michael Reeves suggests that Jesus is reminding us of the Garden of Eden where Eve was cursed. And he is showing that he is the long-expected offspring of the woman who was finally crushing the serpent's head. Only through Jesus can we know peace that deals with anxiety and fear over our children. Only in Christ is there any hope for healing relational conflict between the sexes. There is relational conflict everywhere. But in Christ there is hope. Do you need to know peace in your heart? 
Are you struggling with fear? Is your mind consumed with anxiety? Receive the peace of God in Christ. Are you struggling relationally with others? Are you feeling frustrated and angry and cross about stuff? I tell you, at the moment, people's emotional capacity is here. It's close to the surface. And people are spilling over and reacting. So easy to do because we've all been carrying stuff over these last 20 months and it's under the surface. It isn't the way it should be. God says there's a better way and he has provided the answer in Christ. Relational peace comes through intimacy with Jesus Christ. Comes through by being filled with his spirit. Do you know you need that today? Are you battling with things? We see woman's pain healed. We see man's future secured. Is work a battle for you? Is the workplace tough? Are you finding it hard at work at the moment? We need the Holy Spirit's help every day. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, we need his help. We need his help because in whatever we do, we need to know that we're working with all our hearts as though working for the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, you're fearful of death. Maybe you're fearful of dying. Maybe this Omicron virus, your next bit of COVID, you're thinking, oh no, fearful. Fear fills your heart. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, assures us that Jesus has destroyed the devil who has the power of death in order to free, to free all those who in their lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death. Christ has come to free us. We need to come to him today. And so as we draw to a close this morning the musicians are going to come and join me on stage we're going to sing in response to these great truths I want to read some verses of an old hymn and can it be and I just want these truths to sink into your soul as I read them and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood. Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, 
and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are victorious. We thank you that you have crushed Satan's head. We thank you that the curse is broken. And we thank you that paradise is ours again in you. In this messed up, crazy world where sin is still affecting all our lives, we thank you that we have hope through the cross for a better day. And so we lift our hearts to you. We look to you. We say, come dwell in us, among us, Lord Jesus, by your spirit. Come reign in us for your glory and your honor.